on the road Waiting for a new episode We've been thinking of you And just what you need Oh yeah, yeah Now that the show's underway I guess we can call it a day You're ready for The Bowfinger Show Welcome back to another episode of the Bowfinger Minute Podcast. Each week, Movies by Minutes host examine the 1999 Frank Oz-directed comedy Bowfinger one minute of screen time per episode. I am Bubba Wheat from It's Time to Rewind, and we are all here discussing minute 33 of Bowfinger, starting with Gabe making a call to Bowfinger and ending with a crew member talk, turning around with a foiled sign reading, we'll work for food. Joining me once again is Lance, the Lance Stanford, the night nerd. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm really looking forward to talking about this today. And Roger Wister from Roadhouse Minute. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Bubba Wheat. Thanks for having me back. Sure. It's uh, it's good to be back. This has been a fun week already, and we're not even halfway through yet. Um, so before we get started, I, I figure I would jump in with my background with the movie, and it's it's almost exactly the same as Lance's. I, I am sure I've watched this film sometime like well over 10 years ago, once and I remember really loving it and then I kind of forgot that it existed for the past 10 years and then watching it again just about a week ago I just fell in love with it again it is such a fun movie and there were definitely moments that I remembered I I think the you know the, the clear favorites of watching it again and, and it was something that I watched more than once because I was watching this with my wife and then my daughter came in and like right after the highway scene and so I rewound it to watch the highway scene with her just because that's for me that's definitely the high point of this movie but for us we are discussing minute 33 of Bowfinger and there is so much background stuff happening in this minute once again we are at stage 24 at universal studios gabe is driving a golf golf cart toads towards that uh, phone sitting on a tripod which i literally have no idea what the point of this is it's just like in the middle of this back lot um in a walkway it's not a phone booth it's literally just a corded phone it looks like it's sitting on a clipboard with a small box around it on a blue pipe tripod and the cord is dangling behind it have you ever seen a a phone set up like this anywhere ever i i know like on older hollywood lots um 70s 60s 80s stuff like that they but they were more like phone booth style. Like you mentioned, they weren't as open and out there uh, as this one. So I think this is kind of one of those, uh, like we were talking about yesterday, where they took something that is is real, but 
movie magic it up so that way they could get a, a better shot of it. Yeah, I think this minute is really interesting. I I was looking at my notes, uh, getting ready to podcast this week, and this was the minute where I thought, oh, there's really there's not much going on here. But I think the I think the great thing about this minute is it just kind of reminds you just the stark contrast between what a real movie production is supposed to be like and what Bowfinger is attempting to do. And I think you get the the best sense you get of that in this minute is the fact that like. So, you know, so, so Jamie Kennedy, um, he, like, he's Bowfinger's assistant director, basically. Uh, mm-hmm. But here on this, in his real job, he's the guy that washes your car. Yeah. And, and that's how he, you know, secures access to additional vehicles, <laughs> just from vehicles that he happens to be, that people dropped off for, for him to wash and pick up later in the day. And then he has full access to that vehicle for that time. Uh, one thing, and Roger, I'm glad you mentioned it when you were talking about the real movie studio versus Bowfinger studio. I, I think it's funny how movies set in Hollywood, um, if they're comedies, they always show people carrying around like giant props and people in costumes and all this chaos going on on a movie lot. Uh, Cause that's how, us commoners, I guess, you know, like people imagine Hollywood being like, uh, you know, going back to like Jane's on the Bob Strike Back that we talked about yesterday, you know, they're walking around with sets on that. Um, Frank Oz in, in the Muppet movie, when they finally get to Hollywood, you know, there's people walking around weird stuff doing like that. But then when you look at films that lean more toward the drama side of Hollywood, that they don't have all the silly props and and things like that. And I think it's not only showing the contrast between the real studio and his his shop, but also like what people perceive Hollywood to be like. Um, and I so that made me chuckle, like when they're walking around with that giant sphinx looking thing. Um, <laughs> no, like that. I don't know. I just I thought it was pretty funny, though, that and again, like I said, it made me think of all these other movies where I guess that's just a, a trope that is a is a thing because it's funny to see all these crazies you know spartans and aliens and egyptians and cowboys walking around together i i literally did not notice that sphinx until <laughs> five minutes before we recorded this episode and i was like yeah they're toting back and forth a giant sphinx that's probably made of styrofoam it reminds me of that movie i can't remember which one it is it, i feel like it's an austin powers movie or something like that where there's like these scenes maybe it's the history of the world part one there's a scene where you see people walk or maybe it's wayne's world where they're walking back and forth with like giant panes of glass and they say like why are you doing that it's like i don't know we just have to do this and like someone else is carrying around like giant like do you all know what movie i'm talking about i think that I is scared. blazing saddles oh oh blazing saddles thank you it's like yeah. so like and there's no clue why that is happening. And then of course the big payoff is at the very end, there's like this crazy chase. And of course they run through the paints of glass and knock over the fruit stand and all those things that you expect <laughs> to see in scenes like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's funny that, that Roger, you mentioned that there's not a whole lot going on in this scene because it, it is, it's like just a simple conversation between Gabe and Bowfinger over the phone. And then the setup for the, um, shooting at the restaurant but there's so much background I, I think that this this minute is the minute that i have the most notes on 
just because there's so much stuff going on in the background and I kind of poured over every detail of it because, you know, this, they're in this film studio set and there's so much going on. Like there's a guy riding a bicycle. You have this group of people coming walking towards camera. It looks like they're, they're shooting like a civil war drama because, because you got two guys in, um, soldier outfits it looks like one's from the north one's from the south and two women in period dresses Uh, i think the one on the right the dress reminds me a bit of uh, clara's dress in back to the future part three yeah then the next time they cut back to jamie kennedy there's another dude walking out dressed up like like the local blacksmith yeah he's wearing a leather vest and yet another woman wearing a I think it's a similar period outfit, like kind of Civil War era ish, uh, except her outfit is, you know, white and yellow with a nice little hat. And and that's also where you see that pyramid sphinx. It's like a basically like a cross between a pyramid and a sphinx because you, you have the big the big paws in the front, but it's like got a pharaoh face, but it's in the shape of a big triangle. And I like it, to imagine a universe where all of those people are actually in the same movie. <laughs> the Bowfinger universe. No, I'm joking. Uh, one thing, though, like in the foreground that happened is when you get the executive person walk by and ask about his car and Jim King's like, oh, I'm working on it. Um, that just helps like, reaffirm. Like he he takes these people's car. We've already seen him take Robert Down Jr.'s car earlier in the film. And this is just showing that that's a it's not really a con, but you know, it's just something he does. He's like, Oh yeah, yeah, I'm working on your car. Don't don't worry about it. When obviously he's not. Um and I And I also believe that the executive calls him Dave, even though his name is Gabe. I, did you hear that? But wait, I don't actually want to step in here, but his his character's name actually is Dave. Oh, it is Dave. <laughs> <laughs> I should have corrected you after Monday's episode, but don't worry about it. It's all good. Okay. Your name so that Oh, it's Dave. Thanks for asking. That makes that makes it, more sense. It, <laughs> well, like it, I said, he's Jamie. Like I see him as Jamie Kennedy. <laughs> I guess my hearing is just. But I am one of those executives that never learns somebody's name, so that fits. <laughs> no, it's interesting what you say, Lance, because like I mean, everybody lies in this movie, and I think that's it's just feeding into this notion that you know, in in the movie making business, like everybody's lying a little bit and like you know uh so so dave when dave says oh yeah, yeah i'll get right to it it's like he's not getting right to it and the other guy i think knows yeah like all right whatever because you kind of want dave since he can see through the con you know you kind of want him to be a, a better person but then also you know since he is part of the scam and the schemes and stuff like well maybe he's not that good of a person um so I, I thought it was kind of a, an interesting character beat. You know, you kind of saw, well, I guess he's not much different than Bowfinger, really, at the end of the day, because he's just, yeah, like you said, yeah, I'll get that, whatever. You know, I'm going to do what's best for me. And even though I'm just the car wash guy, I'm acting like I'm this big shot cameraman, assistant director person now. And um, so he, he very much starts reflecting, like, Almost, almost like a, a protege of Bowfinger. Um, yeah, he's kind of like the silent partner in a way. 
Yeah. I mean, every character in this movie, except for maybe Kit Ramsey and I guess Jif, um, is just like oozing ambition. You can just like you can see it coming out of their pores. And so I think it 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 just motivates all of them to just they'll do anything. And then I guess the cautionary tale is like, you know, what are you working for to get to to get to the point of fame that you become Kit Ramsey and turn into a crazy person? Like it's, it's kind mm-hmm. of a there's like a sad, a sad uh, prediction about what it means if you actually get what you're aiming so high for. And I, again, I think that goes back to like what you're talking about, the contrast between the real Hollywood, I'm air quoting, real Hollywood mm-hmm. versus the Bowfinger Hollywood and then uh, like even a step above like what we perceive Hollywood to be versus what it actually is, you know, and um, yeah, so yeah, seeing these people and what they're, especially like Heather Graham's character, you know, what they're willing to do, but uh, yeah, it just, I don't know. I I just really wanted Jamie Kennedy to be better. <laughs> nicer. <laughs> Can we talk a little bit about Steve Martin's office? Oh yeah. I've, I, I have notes. Um, I, I mean, I know it's probably featured more prominently in other scenes. I guess the one thing I will mention about it, and I'm just noticing this now is it reminds me a lot. Have you all seen the movie get shorty? Mm-hmm. I have not. Okay, so you should definitely watch that as a companion piece for this movie. I mean, in a sense, both of them are satirizing the film industry. And they came out pretty similar. Get Shorty's earlier than this movie by a couple of years. But Steve Martin's office looks eerily similar to Gene Hackman's office in Get Shorty. And they Mm -hmm. both are playing essentially charlatan two-bit directors. Um, but just this notion, like it's darkly lit. There's a bunch of crap on the, like pinned up to the walls. There are posters of movies that you should be very embarrassed to be connected <laughs> to, but they're displayed prominently as though they are your magnum opuses. Um, it's 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 a little something. I don't know, Lance. Did you get any sort of like get shorty vibes watching this oh, yeah. movie? Actually, I uh, had some notes I was going to bring up later on, but this is a great time to talk about it. Uh, oh. Because I was going to talk about uh, the other films, you know, I, I keep talking about what we perceive Hollywood as, and you know, when you look at movies like Get Shorty, um, like this uh, Muppet movie, Jane Silent Bob, Tropic Thunder, you know, all these Hollywood being Hollywood movies, and I think in all those you have somebody who is kind of the dirty con man, even in the Muppet. In Muppets Take Manhattan, I mean that's Broadway, but you know there's somebody there who's a dirty con- uh, uh, Beverly Crusher's boss. Uh, I forget who played the role, but you know you always kind of have that that character, um, uh, Les Grossman, Tom Cruise's character in Tropic Thunder. You know his office was a little more polished, but he was kind of the dirty, by any means necessary type stuff, um, and that goes back to what you were talking about how we as a whole have this idea that, Oh, everyone in Hollywood lies. Uh, you know, that's what they do for a living. They're, they're actors. And so having this, this messy, dirty, grungy room, um, just kind of 
you expect to see like fast food wrappers all over the floor and stuff. I, it moves too fast. I, there may be some. I didn't see any, but um, yeah. But to answer your question, all that. But to answer your question, yeah, there's a lot of um, Get Shorty vibes. And even did you see the TV series Get Shorty? Have you watched it yet? I did not. There's a lot. It vibes with that a lot more, like they because they were able to kind of draw it out and do more with it, obviously and stuff. But the, he's definitely playing to a certain type and. Uh, to go back to the Tropic Thunder reference, you know, Steve Martin wrote this and Ben Solo did Tropic Thunder. And you you have to wonder, like, how much of it is based on true stories and people they know personally and, and stuff like that. And so um, I I think, yeah, Steve Martin probably pulled from multiple places to to get that level of accuracy in in that because again much like we talked about on monday there's a lot of little details that you don't normally see in comedy movies and having all the post-its and all the um the other notes and the screen you know they keep showing the four acting classes for 25 dollars flyer and again like (laughs) he's so proud of it it's right there by his desk and why you know so it's uh it's an interesting way to develop a character you know without the exposition like you just see this is their life and how they live and everything and it it tells you a lot about them yeah you mentioned that that pamphlet and i think you know i I have a list of background stuff in in his office you know first we see this the the shot list this uh cork board with a bunch of note cards with the scenes written on them. And I I couldn't make out any, well, I, I, I was able to read like a couple of the cards. Like the one that he crosses out, the first one is um, Kit forgets briefcase. And- um, Yeah, I mean, if you wanna see more of them. So this is a callback to the earlier scene where he and I think uh, Dave had kind of mapped out this and he was explaining what his scheme was to be able to get Eddie Murphy into his movie, uh, to get Kid Ramsey into his movie. If you want to see what all of those cards are, you get a better shot of that earlier in the movie. Uh, I, I didn't go back. So, um, but I, I like the fact, I like the touch that you can tell that the scene, the cards written in red are the ones that feature Kit. And then the ones written in black are the ones that they can shoot without Kit Ramsey and they you know there's 23 scene cards and only six of them are in red and the other one that I can see in this shot is uh, Kit runs from um, Cord or Gord in restaurant which is what we're about to see and then as he goes to answer the phone there's a few things in in the top left corner there is a picture of a screaming woman that looks like it's kind of from the 50s era and I couldn't find anything about the original picture except that it was used as the album cover art for the Xyz um, self-titled album which came out in 2000 and so this was shot two years earlier so I thought that was interesting. I I couldn't find any information about like the the actual background of this picture, 
And so I don't know if like that was something that the Xyz was using and maybe Steve Martin is a fan of the Xyz or if the Xyz pulled the picture from this movie somehow or if this picture has some other origin but since the Xyz used it for their album cover art that's kind of taken over all the Google search. Uh, and then we have this uh, this other, you know, the big poster for Muffy Time which is <laughs> so great. It's it's this, um, you know, it's a young Steve Martin in black and white. And there's a sock puppet behind a blue curtain with some musical notes on it. And it's like, it, it's an extremely crude sock puppet with just, you know, lips and a single tooth and like two googly eyes. And then in the front, there's a row of five other identical crude sock puppets. And at the bottom, it says weekday 6 a.m. at Channel 8. <laughs> so it's clearly like a children's cartoon, well, a children's show. But I love the detail of that. And then, you know, Lance already mentioned the, the pamphlet for his uh, acting, his learn to act pamphlet with... Uh, Steve Martin wearing the turtleneck with his arms crossed in a very professional manner. And then it's also on a cork board with a ton of other note cards that looks, that has a bunch of writing that I can't make out, but it looks like the same handwriting as the scene cards. My, my question talking about that uh, Muffy time poster. So there's a, another poster in the office. I don't think we see it in this scene where it's basically a redo of LA story. Uh, Steve Martin film, but it's called like the Yo Hugo story. I don't know it's called something else. The something else story. Um, do you think that that Muffy Time poster is a callback to Frank Oz and his early days with Jim Henson doing before they were the Muppets, but doing puppet shows on local uh, channels back back in the day? Oh yeah, absolutely. Like I I didn't think of it at the time because I I kind of you know forgot about the frank oz connection uh but yeah i i definitely think that that is a reference to jim henson and the muppets and and sesame street and stuff like that it's just an amusing contrast when you look at the poster too like those sock puppets are terrifying <laughs> like what sort of children's program would you want to see like would you want your children to be seeing that plus whatever steve martin is doing in the background there and it's definitely something that that looks extremely low budget, which fits in with the rest of Bowfinger, uh, other than the fact that it seems like it might have had some level of success, although it's hard to tell just from what we see in the poster. But, it, you know, it was big enough to that they had a poster made and that he's hanging it full-sized in his office. But again, Bowfinger is someone who would celebrate even his tiniest of successes as if they were much bigger. And I, I didn't look it up. I should have. But whoever did like set design and production design, they they deserve all the accolades because, uh, like I mentioned earlier, you get so much story out of just a camera pan. And that's just really impressive. Hmm. Uh, well, I think we can move on to the, you know, the second half of this minute. It cuts to the S&Y construction van. 
and the film crew hiding in the back, filming through the rear window, the sliding yeah. rear window. This is uh, camera camouflage number two, which mm -hmm. I'm very much in, very much enjoying. Uh, and they're at the Rodeo Grill, which, as far as I could tell, was never an actual restaurant on Rodeo Drive. Uh, but the film created this in uh, in Long Beach on a stretch of Pine Avenue at East Alta Way. And the, the patio is full of extras. And I think that the way this is shot is really great, you know, because a lot of times whenever you have a crowd scene and you want, you have one character that you need to focus on, a lot of times what they'll do is, you know, everyone else will be wearing dull colors, but the person that you want to focus on is wearing something bright. But that's not what they do in this scene. They, because, you know, Kit Ramsey is wearing a black suit jacket. But the way that everyone else seated at these tables is pretty static. You get a little bit of movement, but Eddie Murphy is just so animated that your draw, your eyes are drawn right to him. So you see him there as Kit Ramsey. And then just right on the other side of his agent, we see, um, oh, I'm terrible with names, but. Uh, Slater. Slater. Uh, they're sitting looking at the menu. So you can see him there. And then you have the migrant worker film crew holding a poster board sign covered with aluminum foil that says we'll work for food it's just such a great little setup for this scene yeah i mean the great thing about this scene you know so the, the last scene was just like hey is this concept even going to work like it's this crazy idea of just sort of shooting um when no one realizes that you're actually filming your movie is that going to work and then in this scene this is like okay can we actually add film production elements but you don't really realize what's happening like this this whole joke right up until the point where they start filming the scene is like a very slow burn like mm -hmm. when i watch this movie for the first time i'm sure i was really confused about why they had um you know this guy's in the film crew like walk up with his will work for food sign which we'll we'll get to i think in tomorrow or friday's show like what that's all about um, and then we're going to find out too, like why Slater is there as well. Mm -hmm. um, but just like when those jokes pay off, it's really funny. Yeah. And I do think that Slater is set up in a way that watching it the first time you can overlook him pretty easily, but I don't think that he, like, they're not trying to hide him, but they're not trying to make him stand out either. What do you think? Yeah, I think you're right. You know, it's because it goes back to the whole, like hiding in the bush, hiding in the van, things like that um which is kind of cool because they're and even with eddie murphy you know you talked about him wearing all black which would normally hide you would or wearing the, the black suit that would normally hide somebody in a crowd so it's taking stuff and twisting it just enough that yeah, it is that slow burn and when it pays off you're like oh okay i mean because even in this scene like when he walks up with the sign you don't see the sign at first so you're like, oh, is is it a lighting thing? Is it a what? What is this? And then we turned around and it says, "We'll work for food." You're like, oh, okay. And but as we'll see, uh, like I said, either next minute or next, um, it pays off again. Like it's it's a joke that keeps giving uh, because you you get to see them uh, constantly flip what we think is going to happen and how things are 
traditionally done. Um, and yeah. Yeah. I think the, I think the phrase I've heard one time is like putting a hat on a hat. Like this is like the joke is that he's the secret lighting guy, but then they sort of, they add onto that joke by the, what they write on his signboard. Um, as far as Slater goes too, I think it's just worth pointing out too, that like one of the, it, part of that has to do with his, his just like Slateriness. you know, like one of the great things about the character of Slater is like, he is, you know, not to make a pun, like he's a blank slate. Like he's a, he's a handsome guy with nothing going on inside. Um, and so he's also that, extremely nineties. Cause you yeah. know, he has the, the 90, the, you know, the quintessential nineties teen heartthrob haircut with the, you know, the kind of not long, but not short and kind of parted down the middle. And he has the, I believe he's got like the soul patch of facial hair and he's wearing a flannel. He's like someone you would cast off of a headshot without checking first to see if they can act. <laughs> Um, and the actor, I guess his name is Cole Suddath. I don't know what else he's done, but uh, I think he plays it very well. Um, but you know, like, you could easily sit him in a restaurant and no one would notice him. Yeah, we do get a little back. Like it's it's not prominent, but you can hear Kit Ramsey going on a rant, and you know a, a little bit of what he's saying. I think that, you know, there's two words that you really, that really stand out and they feel very Eddie Murphy, but, you know, he's saying, but I want at least the same. I know I ain't going to be treated like mighty whitey in this town. Yeah. We're going to hear a lot more about that. I think tomorrow's (laughs) minute where he gets to start going on his, his rant. Yeah. But I, I don't think there's anyone else except for Eddie Murphy, maybe Chris Rock that's, that could make, this work <laughs> as well as it does quick question do we think that this scene is the same day or do we think that steve martin always wears the same outfit when he's in director mode well he's wearing different socks and and they said that um like uh, dave whenever he called bowfinger said that they're gonna be he's gonna be with his agent tomorrow at twelve forty-five p.m Okay, so that means whenever whenever Bowfinger is directing, he has to put on the backwards uh, Tam O'Shanter and his like he has to get into costume when it's time to go direct. Yeah, yeah, because we we didn't mention whenever he was at home, uh, he was he's just wearing a, a very casual um, dark brown button up shirt and khaki pants with a braided brown leather belt. His director outfit is so odd. Like, I don't know why he puts on the shorts again. Like, I swear to God, when he gets <laughs> out of the van, it almost looks like he's wearing his, he looks like he's wearing a trench coat and nothing else. Yeah, it, it's it's almost like his director costume. It, it's like it's, well, again, it, it's like this, he's playing a director character for everybody in in his crew. Yeah. Well, it goes back to what what common people, like they think a director is this, kind of especially if you look at ones from the the 40s 50s um even up in the 60s you know the the eccentric director with his uh writing crop and puffy pants you know they all had real distinct looks and stuff and i think 
since he is so much a person of a bygone time, you know, uh, when he was quasi successful, that he's trying to recapture that. And so he's doing whatever, whatever worked back then, he thinks it would work now. And so, yeah, playing that part of the director, um, you know, like your Billy Wilder or somebody like that, he's doing what he thinks is supposed to be done as a director. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's, that's really all I have, you know, at, at the end we see Bowfinger getting out of the van and that's where the minute ends. Uh, that's, yeah, that, that's all I have is do either of you have anything else that you want to say about minute 33? No, I'm good. Yeah. I think we got it all. All right. Well, thanks you. Thank you once again for joining for joining me on this minute of uh, Bowfinger Minute. And once again, Roger, why don't you go ahead and take a moment to let everybody else know where they can find you and your other work online. Well, thanks, Bubba Wheat. So uh, as I've mentioned earlier in this week, uh, you can find my wife, Marcy, and I on uh, Roadhouse Minute, where we revisit the 1989 action classic Roadhouse one minute at a time. Um, where wherever all good podcasts can be found. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook at the new double deuce or on Twitter uh, at, at RH minute. And Lance. I am everywhere. All social media, YouTube, everywhere as the night nerd. Um, it's also anywhere you look for podcasts, listen to podcasts, just search it up. The night nerd in I G H T N E R D. And yeah, just hang out, talk all things nerdy. Um, and we have fun. And once again, I have been your host for this week, Bubba Wheat. So you can find me on It's Time to Rewind. And that also has a Facebook group. It's Time to Rewind, a time loop group. And you can join that to talk about the podcast and other time loop movies and TV shows that are out there. And you can find the Bowfinger Minute podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play, or at the main site, bowfingerminutes.com. Please like, subscribe, and review the show on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to join the discussion, be sure to join the Welcome to Mindhead, the Bowfinger Minute Listener Center on Facebook, or follow the show on Twitter at Bowfinger Minute. Be sure to join us here next time on the Bowfinger Minute. In the meantime, keep it together, 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 keep it together.
Mas resolveu 